Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Last uh, last number of times I've been with you has been in a park, uh, or has been outside at the at, at the center. So it's nice to be nice to be inside. Um, I don't know what it's I don't know what's better the, being inside or the smell of popcorn as we uh, as we spend time. I just thought it was the glory, the, the smell of the you know the incense, but no, I think it's probably popcorn. Um, uh, I bring you greetings from, uh, as uh, James said, the uh, the other churches and the other leaders that we work closely with, and that uh, we've had the privilege and the honor of getting to know some of the leaders here, James and Lee, of course, uh, for quite some time, and then now getting to know the other leaders as well. Uh, with some of our leaders and just known a real joining of heart and it's been a real pleasure and a privilege to be able to be joined to such faith-filled uh, leaders and uh, and so they all send their love uh, to, to you guys as well they pray for you as I know you pray for us um, and of course I send greetings everywhere I go from uh, from my wife and I have my boys here with me uh, but my girls I have two girls uh, I have two boys. The, uh, my oldest, Davith, uh, he's 13. And then Kai, he's here as well. He's 12. And then he has a twin sister who's 12, Eva. And then we have a, a little girl who is soon to be 11. And her name's Livy. And uh, they're, they're with their mom on our farm back on the, in the outskirts of Ottawa, where we have a little bit or we have a lot of every kind of animal you can think of. We have, uh, we have I mean, we have too much. We have... Uh, we have beef cows and dairy cows and horses and pigs and goats and sheep and, uh, you know, every kind of bird you can think of. We have geese and ducks and guinea fowl and um, peacocks and different kinds of peacocks. And, and then we thought it was a bit too much. So I said, how about we downsize? So we got alpacas uh, as well. Uh, so now we have alpacas and dogs and cats and uh, pretty much pretty much everything. But it's... it's uh, I, the, they all love it, and I love that they love it. <laughs> that's, about as, that's about as involved as I am. I'm not really the farmer. I always say that my wife's the farmer. I'm just the help. I'm just the, I'm just the eye candy around the place. Uh, um, I'm just the trophy husband, is what I tell her. And then she rolls her eyes. <laughs> Uh, this morning, I want to talk about, uh, it's a great time. It was great to be able to just lay hands on, you know, a, a father and a mother in the house. And this morning, I want to share a little bit about the family of God. And I want to talk about how that's, that's ultimately what we're doing here, is we're an expression of the family of God. We're an expression of the father heart of God. It's always been in his interest. It's always been in his mind. It's always been in his desire to have a family. That's why he introduces himself as the father. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay, I want you to pray like this. Our father who art in heaven. And then you know, you know the rest, I'm sure, of the Lord's prayer. But it began with this big paradigm shift. Our father. And it was it's two aspects of that. The first is, which kind of cuts against our Western culture, is the phrase our that it's not me, it's not my father, but it's our father. That even in our approach to the father, there's an aspect of it in which we do it collectively as the body of Christ and as the family of God, as brothers and sisters who share the same father. 
And, and that kind of cuts against, especially in our Western culture, this individualistic approach to it's just me and God. It's just me and Jesus. And, and Jesus says, well, actually, it's not. It's our Father. We find ourselves planted in the family of God. And then the second thing, cut against so much of their paradigms, their, un- pre- you know, their understanding, and he says, I want you to approach him as Father. And, and this, this, this Abba, this close, intimate expression, and they're like, they're, instead of Yahweh, instead of some, someone who's far off and someone who's distant, but suddenly realizing that we can approach him like a, like a, like a close, intimate friend, like a father. And he says, I want you to approach him as a father. It's always been God's intention to have a family on the earth. All right, I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures. I can't quite remember which ones I sent, so let's see. This will be interesting for us both. <laughs> the first scripture, if I have the first scripture I sent up. I had to choose. That one looks like a good one. Let's do that one. This is Galatians 4. All right, perfect. I'm going to read it from, from, uh, from my translation here. It says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So that's Galatians 4, 4 to 7. Abba, Father. All right, so that's our first scripture this morning. There's just a couple things I want us to notice in that. There were so many other scriptures like this in, script, in, in the Bible that I had to pick one, and this is the one that I, that, that I picked. And it says that we might receive the adoption of sons and daughters. And it, it's, this, it's this aspect that sonship and being a daughter is simply something that we receive. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can unearn. It's something that we receive or reject. But when we receive it, we actually truly receive it, and it's something that happens supernaturally, and we have received a spirit of sonship. And we, and we receive it, and we become sons and daughters to this heavenly Father. This is what it means to be born again into a brand new family. We receive the spirit of sonship and, and, and being a daughter in the house. And like I said, you, can, you, you can't unearn it, and you can't earn it. That's the, that's the parable of the uh, what's often called the prodigal son. It's actually the parable of the good father. You had one son who thought he, he had unearned it, and you had one son who thought he could earn it. You had the rebellious and you had the religious. The rebellious son thought he unearned it. The religious son thought he could earn it. And neither was true. You can receive it or you can reject it. And there's a spirit in the house of God of sonship and, and, and of adoption. Um, many years ago, you've probably heard me tell this story. I like telling it. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, many years ago, as a family, we took a road trip to Chicago. And from, from Ottawa, that was a long trip. It was going to be a two-dayer. And we set out to go, and we thought, you know what, we'll drive. We'll, we'll, we'll drive at night because our kids maybe will sleep in the van, and we'll get most of the driving done while they're asleep. Our kids were quite young at the time. I think our, our youngest, Livy, was five, so they would have been like five, six, six, and seven. And so we thought, we're going to hit the road, and they're going to sleep in the van. Well, we hit the road, and that's when we discovered our kids do not sleep in the van <laughs> at all. 
so we thought, well, we're going to pull over and get a hotel. And uh, so that's what we did. We, in, in the first night, we pull over and we get a hotel. And our youngest, Livy, who is our most uh, strong-willed child, she's, she's lovely, but she is no, she's not shy about making her will known. We'll put it that way. And uh, she, she realized that she had forgotten her, her little stuffed giraffe back at home. And it's bedtime, and that's what she uses to go to bed. And as you can imagine, it was a disaster. And so she's like, I want that giraffe. And I'm like, we don't have that giraffe. Uh, and, and I'm like, it's, it's, it's at home. It'll be fine. You can get it when we, when we come home. And nope, she was not happy. I was like, don't worry. Tomorrow, I will go to Canadian Tire, and I will buy, this was where I got this giraffe, I will buy you another stuffed giraffe. And she's like, I don't want that stuffed giraffe. I was like, I will buy you two stuffed giraffes. She's like, I don't care. I will buy you a real giraffe if you just go to sleep. And it didn't matter. She did not want even the real giraffe. And every night, because we weren't going about to, we weren't about to drive back. Every night we kind of went through this same thing where, you know, she was pretty upset. We went through the whole thing and then eventually she'd go off to sleep for the whole trip until finally we came home and we pulled up and it was, it was bedtime and she ran upstairs and she got her little stuffed giraffe and she laid down and she went straight up to sleep before we even got a chance to tuck her in. And she was out cold and, When that happened, God spoke to me, and he just said this to me, that some things are loved because they're valuable, and some things are valuable because they're loved. And that's the love of the Father for us. See, she loved this. This giraffe was so valuable to her because that's the one that she loved. And I could have bought her another one. I could have bought her 10 more. I could have bought her a real giraffe. But there was no value in those ones because those weren't the ones that she loved. The value was created because she loved it. And that's how God loves us. That's the love of a father to us. Is he, we have value to him because of his love for us. Not because of what we do, not because of what we don't do, not because of what we earned or what we've unearned, not because of how good we are or how bad we are or how cool we are or how gifted we are or how righteous we are that week. That's not why he, that's not the value that we have to him. The value that we have to him is simply because of his love for us. And this is the power of the father's love that creates intrinsic value. Just like her, my daughter's love for this giraffe created intrinsic value in this giraffe that made everything else almost worthless compared to how much she loved that giraffe. That's how the father loves us. It creates value. And when we understand this, that the father's love and the power of the father's love, it takes so much of the striving and the condemnation out of the Christian life. Striving to be righteous, condemned because we weren't. And so many Christians live in this place because they've not realized the power of the Father's love to create intrinsic value. And it's a value that heals. It's a value that restores. It's a value that, it's a love that, that, that makes whole. It's a love of approval. It's a love of acceptance. This is the love of the Father. And it's a love that creates value. And when we realize that and spend time realizing that, it begins to, first of all, transform our relationship with the Father. It, it changes our relationship to God. But also, as, we, as it begins to change our relationship to ourself. 
and we, we begin to be healed in our identity. And we begin to become whole and restored in our identity because we're not looking for anything or anyone else to provide that. That, that sense of identity of who we are comes from the Father. And his love gives us that. His love gives us this sense of identity that I am loved by my heavenly father. And his love, like I said, heals us and restores us and makes us whole. And I'm, I'm going to go quite quickly this morning. I think this is probably recorded, so you'll get a chance to go back if you, if you miss things. I see some of you taking notes, and that's great, but I'm going to go pretty fast in, in a few minutes. Um, the love of the Father, when we understand it, it has the power to transform our relationship with him, our relationship to ourselves, but it also has the power to transform our relationship to each other here in the household of God. Because the love that we have for each other is actually the same love that comes from the Father. It's this supernatural transforming love. That's the characteristic of the love in the family of God. We don't, we're not all together because we all like each other. We do most of the time, but not all the time. Because sometimes we bother each other. Sometimes we aggravate each other. Sometimes we annoy each other. I might be annoying you right now. I don't know. Uh, that's just, that, that's just the way it is in family, in family life. But we love each other with a, with a love that doesn't come simply from our, our uh, we're all the same, or I like this person, or they like the same stuff as I do, or they're into the same stuff that I am. So one of the things I love about this church, and same with all nations, is <clears throat> it really is all nations represented, people from completely and vastly different backgrounds, vastly different cultures. And I think that's wonderful that we can come together and that we can love each other with a love that comes from the Father. It, it's a supernatural love uh, <clears throat> that, that comes from him. And it changes the way that we are. All right. Um, he doesn't love us for who we are. He loves us because of who he is. It cre- it's his love that creates the value. All right, I'm going to uh, move, move on quickly here because um, there's a few things that I do want uh, us to, to say by way of contrast. I think the next scripture that I've got up, let's see, let's try this again. Drum roll, please. Ephesians 2, perfect. Ephesians 2.19. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Everyone say household. household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. All right. So here we see... There were no longer foreigners and strangers, but were fellow citizens. And then it refers to this phrase, God's household. We are the household of God. He's the father, and we're all in his household. We are in the household of God. We're the family of God. And, and there's times like this where the household comes together. All of us are placed in the family of God at large, but the family of God is made up of families throughout the earth. Just like the church of God is made up of churches. The household of God is made up of households. And here we are, every member of the family of God is meant to find themselves placed in the specific family that God has joined us to, the specific household that we are meant to be a part of. And this is extremely valuable. It's so valuable that when Jesus was, uh, I think it was where they were tearing off the roof and they're lowering down this uh, man who's paralyzed. And Jesus' mother and his brothers come to him. And, they, and then they come and say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus says this phrase, which is really strange. He says, who is my mother? 
who are my brothers? And then everyone there is like, um, those guys. <laughs> and he's like, no. He's like, it's those that are the closest to me in doing the work of the Father. That that is my family. And what he did, and this is important for us to understand, is he elevated the significance and the importance of the family of God even over our natural families. He says, actually, this is more a representation of what family is than even my natural family. It's those who are in closest proximity to me as we together are about the Father's business. That is the importance that Jesus puts on the family of God and on the value of the family of God. Um, family is the primary way the early church identified themselves. Uh, they talked to each other as in familial terms. In fact, so much so that when Saul became Paul, who, was, who became this super apostle to the nations, wrote most of the New Testament, the first words that he said, the first words that he heard as a believer were, brother, brother. And this was, this, was, this was a phrase that you are suddenly now part of the family. You belong to the family of God. And Saul was called brother. And you know, there's no higher title that, that Paul could be called. He, above apostle, above author of the New Testament, above all the other things, the highest title is brother. Do you know that's the only one that's eternal? It's the only one that will remain is the family of God. He will be brother forever. All right. I'm going to say a few things. I want to, I, I want to say a few things by way of contrast. Um, and uh, we know that the church is the family of God. So that the, the basic premise here is we're born again into the family. There's this, this relationship that we have with the Heavenly Father. His love transforms us. He puts us into this family. All of us belong to the family of God. And now I want to say a few things by way of contrast, especially in the Western world, um, that the church is not. So I'm going to list a few things. Number one, the church is family. It is not a business. So the church's family is not a business. Um, it's not an organization. It's not all about the bottom dollar or bums on seats or org charts and flow charts and uh, just simply the business. And we've seen so much of this in the Western world where the church is approached as a business. And the church isn't a business. It's the family of God. Now, having said that, of course, families need organizing, don't they? I mean, our family, my, I'm very grateful that my wife is, is great at this sort of stuff because our family, with the kids that we've got and with the farms that we have, it requires a great deal of organization. I think Sarah could probably run a Fortune 500 company uh, with the, her ability to run our family and all the things, but it requires a great deal of organization. But you know that the organization and the schedule and the programming and the planning, all of those things are there simply to further facilitate family life. That's it. Our family doesn't serve the organization of our family. The organization serves the family life. And it's the same in the household of God. So that the, all of the plans and the programs and all the things that we do, they're there to simply further facilitate family life. Because the church isn't a business. It's not an organization. It is God's household. Um, <clears throat> all right. Number two. 
The church is the family of God, not a restaurant. Now, I am a foodie, which is apparent. Uh, I, I love food. I love, I love going into nice restaurants. I love great service. I love when I be able to go in and sit down and have someone take my order and bring water on time and then bring some bread and top up your bread and notice if the bread is, is, is all gone. And if you order something that doesn't have, you know, I, I really don't like if it's, uh, I, don't, I don't like onions or something like that. And they bring onions. You're like, wow, this is, you didn't listen. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's good service when they listen and when they pay attention. And, you know, I'm always, I'm a snob, but I'm polite about it. Uh, uh, but, and, and that's great because when I go to a restaurant, I'm going to a restaurant because I don't want to do something. I want them to do something. But you can see how weird it would be if I went to my home after this, if I drove home and sat down and uh, sat in my house and kind of looked at my watch and I was like, come on, Sarah, I've been sitting for 20 minutes. Where's my water? Or Sarah made a nice meal and we get there and I'm like, Ugh, I don't really like onions in my meal. Sorry. Uh, could you send this back? Can I have one without, without, without onions? She would look at, well, I would never do that, mainly because I have a holy fear of Sarah. <clears throat> and, I, and I like my life. Uh, so I would never do that. But I would also never do that because that would, be a, that would be weird to approach my household like it would a restaurant. Everyone would think that's not, you're, you're misunderstanding your approach. You've got your approach all wrong. You're approaching your household as if you're in a restaurant. But you know it's the same in the household of God. How weird it would be for me to approach the household of God, to come in and sit down, and to think, well, I prefer things like this. I like it like this. I want someone to serve me. I want someone to pay attention to my needs. I want my bread, you know, topped up, so to speak. And, and for me to sit down and expect to be served at a restaurant, that would be peculiar, because this isn't a restaurant. It's the family of God. When we gather <clears throat> as a family, when we gather as a family in our household, whether it's just Sunday afternoon or whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, there's a few characteristics of gathering together. First of all, everyone chips in. We all, we all have a part. Our kids do something. Uh, aunts and uncles come and they do something. Everybody brings something. Everyone participates. Someone helps clean up. Someone's setting up the chairs. Someone's vacuuming. You know, in, the, in, in our family gatherings, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, do you know who doesn't participate? The guests and the very young. And that's true in the household of God. When we have guests come among us, we, we, we intentionally try to serve them. We, we want them to feel welcome. We don't want our guests coming in and having to wrap up cords and having to put signs away and all that kind of stuff. You want to serve them, don't you? And then, of course, the very young. But a mark of maturity, as, as our kids grow up, a mark of maturity is they take responsibility in the house. And as they grow, they find ways to serve in the house. And in our household, there is no shortage of ways to serve. We've got chores coming out or wazoo. There's so many, there's so many things going on that the kids all have jobs and they all know what they're going to do and they all, they all, you know, know their, know, know, you know, know their chores for morning and for night and for our meals. And because they, and as they grow, those increase. That's because they know they're not coming to a restaurant. They are, Part of the household of God. All right, number three. The next thing is, everyone all right so far? All right. Next thing is, and this is going to be an interesting one considering our setting, but the church is a family of God. It's not going to the movies. <laughs> um, 
Uh, it's not a place where you go and watch the show and you watch the professionals do something and then you come out and you have your popcorn and then you rate it. Well, I give this two thumbs up. I give this one and a half thumbs up. I think the worship was good. I think this person did good. I like this song. I liked uh, this part of this and I didn't like that. And the acting was terrible, but you know, the script was good. Um, that would be, that would be weird coming, you know, if we approached going to church like that because we, it, it's not going to the movies. It is part of our family. But in our, in, in our consumer-based society, this can be a trick. This can be tricky. Because in our consumer-based society, we like to be able to go. And, and, and COVID made this even harder, where everything got reduced to a screen, where you simply are passive and you're consuming something. And that's something that God's wanting, I believe, all of us to break back out of, where we participate. That's why it was great even to hear... Um, you know, a tongue and interpretation, you know, come this morning, someone else participating in the meeting and that there's space for that, for the moving of the Holy Spirit. And that's okay. And if, if that made you uncomfortable, I understand that. And I think that that's probably a good thing. I think that if, if in, if in my family life, I can go two years, uh, in, in church life and not feel uncomfortable, then I think, well, maybe I'm just doing routine. Maybe I'm just doing the same thing over and over. If everything have that happens is, is according to my expectations. I love it when things happen that are a little bit different, a little bit where God seems to be pushing the envelope of my comfort zone. Anyway, that's off topic. Um, the church is not a place we attend. The church is a family that we belong to. So we can't go to church because we are the church. It's like going to our family. I don't go to my family. That would be weird for me to go to my family. Oh, it's Sunday, so I'm going to go to my family. No, I am part of the family. And we meet at different times, but this is my family. This is who I'm joined to. This is who I belong to. Equally, and I'm going to say this uh, gently, if, if, say, my second son, Kai, if we got together for Sunday meeting, Sunday, Sunday lunch or whatever, and Kai wasn't there, we wouldn't all look around at each other and think, huh, well, I wonder what happened to the, uh, the, the second son there, Kai. I really liked him. I wonder what he's doing. I hope he comes back. Maybe we'll see him at the next meal. <laughs> hope he's all right. Anyways, pass the salt. That, that would be weird. We would all think, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Let's pause because a member of our family is missing and our member of our family should be here. I wonder where Kai is. Let's go find him. Let's go call his name. Let's go see. Maybe he's stuck in one of the barns. Maybe he doesn't know it's supper time. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's too busy doing homework. He doesn't realize. Let's go, let's go and get him and find out what's going on so that he can come and be part of what we're doing. And that's the same in the family of God, isn't it? That, that, that we're part of the family. That when someone's missing, we don't just think, huh, I like them. I wonder if they'll show up again. Neither would my kids be like, hey, Dad, Kai's not here. Could you please go do something? That'd be weird, wouldn't it? They'd be like, no, Kai, Kai's not here. I'm going to go find him. And it wouldn't all become my responsibility. It would be my responsibility, but not solely my responsibility to, to pursue a family member who was meant to be part of us and who is missing. Now, the second part of that is, and this one's a little harder, uh, if I can be part of a church community for, say, a year or so, and if I can disappear for three weeks and no one knows I'm gone, maybe I've just been going to the movies. Maybe I've just been consuming. I mean, I'll say this like this. 
You can't have a felt absence if you don't have a felt presence. And there's been, I've encountered many Christians who are complaining that they have a felt absence, but they've never given themselves to have a felt presence. They've never given themselves to build their life with brothers and sisters in such a way that their presence is felt because they're intentionally bringing something of themselves, of a heart of faith, of an encouragement, of a, of a connection, of friendship, of warmth, of investment, of whatever it is, of serving, of caring, whatever it is, of bringing something of themselves. And they've never done that. They've always withheld and consumed. And then they withdraw and wonder why no one notices they've gone. It's because no one noticed they were there. All right, I'll move on. <laughs> uh, I, know you, I know you hear my heart in that. I'm not trying to be harsh in that, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to elevate our expectation of what it means to be part of the family of God so that we build intentionally with each other. Not simply so that we can prove it and you know, be passive-aggressive and withdraw and be like, oh, good, someone noticed. You know, not, not so that we can do that, but simply so that we can understand the principle of building together so that we have a very felt presence among each other. Because that's what it means to be our brothers and our sisters. All right, number four. Uh, the church of God is a family. It's not an event. And I grew up, I grew up understanding, and I grew up in a church understanding that the church wasn't the building. But it took me a long time to understand that the church isn't the meeting. The church isn't the conference. The church isn't the, even the Sunday morning gathering. That's why we can't go to church. We are the church. And... I remember when God first called us to plant in Ottawa uh, through prophetic word. He said, now it's time to plant over here. And I looked and thought, well, I don't know if we can, I don't know how we are going to plant. Like, how are we going to do kids work? How are we going to do music? We don't have another soundboard. We don't have a place to meet. How are we going to do tithes and offerings? Who's going to preach? Who's going to lead worship? Oh, we're not ready to plant God. Literally what I said to him. And he said, well, I'm planting. And you can partner with me or not. And then he just began to show me what he was doing in the lives of believers and that people were getting saved on a Monday, on a Tuesday, and on a Wednesday. And that throughout the week, he he was busy. He was planting. And then he said to me, I didn't tell you to plant a meeting. I told you to plant a church. I told you to pioneer the church of God that I'm building. And now, it. so we planted a church there, and it, it wasn't, we were two years before we even had a meeting. But meanwhile, we were planting the church. The church of God, the activity of the life of Christ was happening among us throughout the course of the week. That is family life. Family life isn't simply coming to the meeting. And I say that just simply to say, if your only experience of family life is coming to a meeting, you're missing out. You're just coming to an event. You're missing out on so much of what God has for us in being part of the family of God. All right, last one. Everyone all right so far? Everyone still love me? (laughs) Um, (laughs) The Church of God is a family. It's not our club. So a while ago, there was a meme that went around on the interwebs. I tried to find it, but I'm not very tech savvy, so I gave up. But I would have played it for you. That would have been awesome on this big screen. Uh, But basically, the meme was this. It It was a place called My Church, and it was a parody. And it started out since, you know, understandable and it got progressively absurd. But it started out with someone saying, at my church, I want the seats to be comfortable. And then the next one was, at my church, I want there to be three songs that move me emotionally. The worship leader has to be talented. And the next one was like, well, at my church, I want the preacher to speak for 22 minutes and he has to be funny. I want to laugh when I'm at church. 
And then the next one was, at my church, I want to show up and I want someone to take my kids off me and entertain them through the whole service so that I can just get some me time. And then the next one was a person saying, when I show up at my church, I want someone to get me a latte and to know my order before I arrive. And then the next one was, at my church, I want the pastor to get me tickets to the big game. And it just kind of went progressively absurd. And it was meant to be a parody on how so many of us in the West approach our church. That at my church, I want it to be a club that serves all of my wants and that is around, centered around my comfort and my preference. And the church is the family of God, it is not our club. All right. Can I have, um, all right, last thing I'll say. Um, one of the ways in which I know my kids, I always say this to my kids as they leave for school every day. I look at them and I say, hey, no growing up today. And they just roll their eyes at me because they know I'm a dad and I have dad jokes. Uh, I was like, no growing up and no having fun. And, of course, they go away and they do both. And I've, I've said this for years, but, and, and it's, I say it because I love them the way they are, and I love, I miss them when they were young, and I look at the pictures, and it was, they were so cute and so pudgy, and I, I love cuddling with them. But, you know, they're growing, and that is actually a good thing. And they're growing up, and they're growing up, and one of the, one of the ways in which they grow up is they take responsibility in the house. And they've got lots of things that they can do. But not only that, and even more importantly than that, as they grow, it's one of the things that I love, as they grow, I, the relationship I have with them changes. And I can relate to them differently. And our relationship is more rich and more full because they have matured. And as they continue to mature, they're just starting their teenage years now, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Everyone says, oh, watch out for the teenage years. I'm, I'm looking forward. I know, that, I know there's going to be challenges, but I'm looking forward to it because every stage gets better and better because you can relate to them more and more. The questions get deeper. The jokes get funnier. The, the, the ways in which you can relate are more. You can share more of your heart. And do you know that's true with us and God? us and our Heavenly Father, that as we give ourselves intentionally to maturing in the family of God, our relationship with him gets richer and richer. We're meant to grow in the family of God. Okay, last scripture. Thank you. You've all been very patient. I don't get to see you very often, so I crammed a lot in, I know. So, all right, last scripture. Ephesians 4. Good. Ephesians 4. Um, and he, it says, and he himself gave some as apostles, some as a prophet, some as evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I won't read the whole, I won't read the whole thing. But basically it says this, so that we can mature and be nurtured. So that we can minister and, and mature. So the, the, the purpose of the fivefold ministries is to cause us to be mature and to minister. To, nur- to nurture and to go. And then it says, and then we will no longer be infants. So the, the family, the, the familial language is we're no longer going to be infants. We're no longer going to be children. I think one translation said toddlers. That's probably the message. Uh, that we're no longer going to be infants, but that we're going to grow up. And that is the point of everything that we're doing here, of the family of God. Isn't so, it would be weird if my kids never actually grew up. 
if they were perpetual toddlers. If, if they came to me and they still needed to be spoon-fed, although they're 13 and 12 and 12 and 11, and if I needed to cut up their meat, and if I needed to look after them, if I needed to dress them, if I needed to, if I needed to do all the things that I did when they were toddlers, every, you would all look at me and say, there's something wrong here. In fact, everyone would be alarmed if my kids weren't growing up. And, it's, and it, that has to be the case in the household of God, is that the whole purpose is for us to grow up and to, and to mature, and so that we can mature as we grow up and that we can minister, so that we can do the work that God has for us to do. And that is the purpose of uh, you know, mothers and fathers in the house of God. And eventually, it's the same with my family, that eventually as they grow, they become mothers and fathers themselves. That's the ultimate destiny, is that they become mothers and fathers themselves. And they will, in turn and in time, have children. And those children will hopefully mature and become fathers and mothers themselves. And it's the same in the household of God. That's why it was so great to be able to lay hands on a, you know, a mother and father uh, couple this morning. So that they can give themselves to causing the church to mature. So that they can raise up other sons and daughters who become mothers and fathers. And that is what we're all doing here. That's why we're here, is so that the whole church is to grow up together as a family and in a family. All right, let's stand. All right, so hopefully we we, we, we caught a glimpse of the nature of the family of God and how it's always been his desire and his heart to have a family, that how he birthed us as, as a family, how he, he wants us to relate to him as a father, how we receive this sonship and daughtership, if that's a word. Um, uh, we receive this spirit of sonship. We receive the spirit of adoption. Uh, we can't earn it. We can't unearn it. It changes the way we relate with each other, but also by way of contrast, understanding that maybe some of us have had the wrong approach to what it means to be part of the family of God. And I think God, by his Holy Spirit, can just come and can, can adjust our sights and adjust our expectation and cause us to have an elevated hope and an elevated expectation and an elevated understanding of what it means to be part of his household, what it is that he's doing on the earth and what it is that any of us are actually doing here. And that the point of it is for us in the family of God to be joined to the family of God and then for us to grow up together so that we can do the works that God has for us and we minister with each other and we can mature together in the household of God as we are sons and daughters who are becoming mothers and fathers. All right, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are our Father. And I thank you that you have taken all of us and you have placed us in your family and God, I ask that where there needs to be adjustment in our approach, adjustment in our understanding, God, that you would just help us to make that right now by your Spirit very quickly. God, if there's areas of self-centeredness that where we need to repent, God, I ask you to just help us to do that right now in your presence. Repent from a wrong approach to your household, a wrong approach to you. God, I ask right now for all of us here, that we would once again, in a fresh way, know this love that creates value in us. God, I ask that you would deliver every single one of us in here who's trying to earn it, who's striving. God, I ask that we'd be set free from that and we would just receive your love.
God, I ask for every person in here who feels condemned and, and that they've unearned it and that they're not worthy. God, I ask that you deliver us from that right now so that we can receive your perfect love that casts out all fear. God, I ask for this house, for Life House, that you would raise up sons and daughters who become fathers and mothers. God, that you would cause your sons and daughters here to be joined together, to love each other with a love that comes from you, and to participate in the family of God, and to not just go to church, but to realize this is a family that we are joined to. For your purpose, for your glory, until the whole world knows of who you are, because your family is on the earth, and that we're a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Steve, thank you so much. That was a, a great word for us as a community. And uh, so just a reminder, bring and share lunch. If for whatever reason you cannot bring, please come and share. But if you have time to stop and grab something on the way, then please do. If you hadn't remembered, we're meeting at the Lifehouse Center, which is 6600 Faulkner Drive. And uh, we'll gather there at uh, to start the lunch at 1230. Okay, so we'll, we'll see you there. There still is coffee and cookie here. So enjoy each other's company and then we'll head over to the Lifehouse Center. Have a great week.